welcome to Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Thank you so much for joining us for another exciting and very insightful conversation. Today, in How to Get It Just Right in the theme of Goldilocks, we are going to be addressing a few critical issues around technology. What are the pros and pitfalls of all the emerging technology and how do we protect ourselves and how do we protect our identity and keep ourselves secure so that we don't open ourselves to get hacked. We don't invite trouble for ourselves. We're also gonna talk about where the future is leading as well as what kind of coaching and guiding and mentoring do we need to succeed in this world where our leadership and our empathy and our resilience and our ability to integrate technology, they're all coming together. It's really not one or the other. It is how do we integrate all of it and show up holistically for ourselves to thrive and the organizations we build or we represent, they all thrive. So in the spirit of Goldilocks to help us get it just right is uh, somebody I have met recently and immediately connected at so many different levels. And I am looking forward to this conversation and other partnerships leading to some productive community engagement for both Albert Well and I. Albert, welcome to Unleash in the Goldilocks. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Such an exciting time, such an exciting conversation. And you are the whale in the world of technology. And <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to play on that word, right? It's your name. So it's very appropriate. Yes, I am a whale of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whale of a family, six kids. Wow, nice. So as we get started, let's talk about how did you get into, even in the world of technology, to a place where security and preventing hacking and managing and integrating all the emerging innovations? How did you get into that world and how do you help people navigate that successfully? Wow, great question there, Kaz. I mean, so I've been involved in technology since the sixth grade. Anyway, all of the um, functionality that you have in, well, it's not a handheld calculator anymore. It's an app on your phone. All yeah. of the handheld technology you have in the app on your phone, that's a calculator, used to fit on a desk. Oh, well, two desks. Okay. And that's what, that was the first machine that I programmed. And I programmed all the dates for Easter on any year um, with the given programming and a stylus, okay, punch the holes in the cards. So I had an attraction to technology at a very early age. And I think I see that with kids today in working with technology. But the problem that I see is they get sucked into the environment and don't explore the um, universe that's around them, right? Anyway, when I got out of school, high school, that is, I went to the Navy because I didn't have money to go to college. And 
I got trained as an electrician, which was great. Um, it, it aligned with my technology understanding. But the first day on board ship, I caught a motor and it broke four discs in my back. It was an 80 pound motor. There weren't screw holes in it to put a chain to take it off the boat. Um, we had to use clothesline. And if you know anything about clothesline, it does stretch. And well, even though we put loops around it, um, it broke free and I caught it and everybody beneath the, me on the ladder jumped out of the way, which, you know, I guess I would have done the same thing, but I was at the top of the ladder. This is my first day on ship and there it is. Um, Navy career over. It took a while to get out. And when I got out, I started um, working in the industry for rebuilding homes after fires. And soon found out I couldn't do that because the chemicals were leaching the skin off my body. Uh, they used some caustic materials to clean smoke and soot out of homes. And I started building three axis rotational test systems for um, gyroscopes and missiles and things of that nature. And that was great work. I got promoted three times in 18 months and decided that I needed more. I needed more income. I needed more money. So I went to night school, um, made straight A's, and found out soon after I started night school that they made less money than I did. And they were heckling the engineers that would actually design the stuff. So I went to engineering school, became an electrical engineer. And by the time I got out, we had started to create this environment. It was called the DARPANET and the ARPANET, which was connecting universities with computers that didn't normally talk together. And that system was just evolving into a communication stream called email. So from there, I um, graduated with my degree in electrical engineering, and I was building robotic inspection systems for the specialty steel industry, saving the company $2 million a year with a six-month project. And a friend of mine from high school came over and said, you work with computers, right? And I said, whatever gave you that idea? Yeah, of course I do. So he showed me a client that needed a uh, billing system for telephone companies. And I designed a system that took their billing process from three and a half weeks to an hour. And then I showed them this communication um, technology, which had grown up from the ARPANET to something they were releasing as the internet. And I said, look, we, we can connect you to the internet and you can sell subscription services to all your telephone company clients and they'll love this. And they're like, you can't do that. We'd have to get licenses from Microsoft. And I'm like, no, you don't need licenses from Microsoft. We're going to do this with Linux, okay? And Linux is free. And by the way, Microsoft built their technology based on the AT&T System 5 operating system. And I just went down a whole geeky rabbit hole there, sorry. But I started building the internet and then 9-11 happened. And that's when the FBI came knocking on my door saying, hey, we need help. Um, we have this September 17th watch list. Can you help us investigate these people? And I did. And it was quite an extensive list. 
And when I was done, um, we created an, an organization called the FBI InfraGuard, and it's now rebranded as the InfraGuard Member Alliance. But that taught security to the national critical infrastructure. And that was great because we were making our country whole and secure and helping other people um, get the security they needed. But that didn't pay the bills. I couldn't, as a volunteer, go to the grocery store and give them my smiling face and say, I need $400 worth of groceries. Because I just saved the country, give me groceries. You couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work too well. Volunteerism is great. And, you know, I, I think everybody should volunteer as much as they can. But that's when I started my own consulting company. And I started working internationally, helping electric companies and water um, industries create a secure process for the country of Aruba. And then it, it spawned from there to saving the VA a million dollars in six months or teaching the Air Force what software security is or going to global banks and showing them how the attackers are getting inside and helping them secure their software. So that's how it all evolved. And, you know, sometime later, I wrote three books. Amazing. We will touch on that definitely. So as I'm listening to you give your trajectory, I see so many points of intersection, right? AT&T, getting on the computer and doing programming before the modern way of doing programming existed. Understanding Linux, using Linux, using email before there was that modern way of emailing. So we're contemporaries. We've taken a similar journey. So that's exciting for me to have this conversation. And the more technology has become democratized with everybody having access to it, and the more ease of use has been brought in, it has also become more vulnerable. So the old ad adage that the more sophisticated we get, the more vulnerable we get, that's where we are with technology. So talk to us about why it's important not to get hacked. And then it's a perfect time to weave your first book in. Oh, well, that's that's great. Thank you, uh, Dr. Henry. The, the tools that we're using in today's technology are looking for tomorrow's threats. Mm -hmm. Uh, the biggest problem that we have with technology is we have this addiction to devices. I don't know if you can see this. This is yes. an iPhone. Uh -huh. Where was it built? China. China. I have nothing against the Chinese people. Don't get me wrong. But there are some um, industries, some government organizations that want to get inside our networks, and they do it quite well by enforcing the implementation of malware, backdoors, and espionage inside the technology that we buy that's manufactured in China. And I'm a very big advocate for bringing manufacturing back to the United States and the reason that I am is that we can't see these threats 
because our tools are looking for tomorrow, not today or now or yesterday. How did they get in there? Were they manufactured? Was it a zero day that we didn't understand? You know, what's going on inside the technology that we're trusting? And that's why I built a product called It's Safe, which actually looks at communications going in and out of the organization to implement proactive protection. And by creating that tool, that launched my first book, Hashtag Hacked, because most people are already hacked, but they don't know it. You know, most people use simple passwords. One, two, three, four, five, six is one of the most popular passwords out there. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But in today's realm of technology, even an eight-character password can be broken in under an hour. Mm -hmm. So we have to use longer passwords and the protection schemes that are employed for us as users are totally different than the ones that are being employed by business. Mm -hmm. If a business already has a breach and they don't know it, They've got your password file already. They've got your contact information. And you are not able to secure that data. You can't change your identity. Your social security number might already be at risk, which is what I talk about in hashtag hacked. And I also give you a website to go to to see if somebody has your information already identified in a data breach and it's available on the dark web. So keeping your information secure and safe is essential for keeping your identity protected because most people don't know what the dark web is. I am glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask, can you elaborate on what the darknet is so that our community and all the viewers can get a deeper insight into what it really is instead of just a buzzword. Yeah, the dark net is another internet. So if you look at our world as being totally connected with the internet, now the dark net is what happens when um, organized crime is available to sell their wares like um, malware as a service or um, backdoors into organizations or um, administrator access to organizations already built in because they've gotten inside and now they're selling, you know, root access or administrator access to a Fortune 10 company at $10,000 for a week. Imagine the damage that bad actors or governments can do against industry if they have inside access already. So keeping your data safe is essential. And the dark web is being monitored. A lot of individuals that are utilizing it don't realize that even though they think that they're anonymous, they're really not. The backdoor access is available for anyone and it's being tracked, okay? So I'm glad you explained it that way because so many times, especially when entrepreneurs build websites and have somebody manage it. Yes. 
another entrepreneur is managing those websites. And in order to make sure they don't forget everybody's administrative uh, access codes, they have a singular one they use for everybody. And I run into this with some of my entrepreneurial clients, not-for-profit clients. And it's not just them protecting their own access, but who all have administrative rights to backdoor through the dark web. How is that being protected is equally important. You bring up a very good point. Um, one of our targets for our security appliance, it's safe is the managed service provider. These are the companies that you outsource your IT services to because they know how to connect devices back and forth. They're really good at information technology um, opportunities. They're not really good at cybersecurity. It's kind of like asking a foot doctor what you should do with the brain tumor you have probably not something you're going to do for fixing your cybersecurity problems because it's a totally different field. IT is tangible objects, connecting them, making them work. And that's a great thing for a lot of people to get done. But cyber is this nebulous concept about how to gain access using the technology we have and getting inside. And that's what it's safe really does is it, it manages all your connections going in and out to see where are they going and do you really want that happening? You've given us so much food for thought in terms of the cybersecurity, the internet, the darknet. I want to touch on something equally important. You have some good news to share with us, something you're doing in the world of coaching. And I cannot wait for you to share it with our audience and see where your expectations and goals are there and where there could be points of intersection to help help others and help build your new entry. Wow. Thank you. This is a, a, a really golden opportunity that I get to announce that I'm now a certified coach with Napoleon Hill Institute. The Napoleon Hill Institute took all the works that Napoleon Hill was commissioned by Andrew Carnegie about how did millionaires exist in the Gilded Age. In the Great Depression, in one of the darkest times of our country, how were there so many people that were successful at life and became millionaires overnight while others were struggling to to get money for food, bread, milk, water, things of that nature. And that took Napoleon Hill more than 25 years to um, complete the research of more than 500 millionaires. And he's actually created more millionaires than Andrew Carnegie has. With more than 60 to 70 million copies of this book, Think or Grow Rich, it's right over here, already sold, there's a volume of wealth of information. But the problem is you can't read it and start applying it. You really need to have somebody that's been through the process. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those products of the product, okay? I started out with Bob Proctor coaching and my mentor, Cleona O'Hara, is now the CEO of the Napoleon Hill Institute. So when Bob Proctor died, 
she said, okay, what's next? She was the senior vice president and member of the inner circle for Bob Proctor. And then he was gone. What were they going to do? Well, she had a download from the universe, from infinite intelligence that said, call Napoleon Hill. Now, Napoleon Hill's been gone for a little while, but their foundation has been around to manage all of the works from Napoleon Hill. And she had a conversation with Don Green, and Don gifted her the Napoleon Hill Institute, which was founded 60 years ago. And we've reinstituted the, the Institute and had a founding celebration in the end of April. And there were about 75 or 80 coaches that came on board as the founding members. And I'm one of the first groups of coaches to get certified. There were five in the initial interview. I'm the last one of the five to get certified. And that happened this week. Congratulations. I am so excited both for you as well as the lives you're going to touch because we are economically entering a challenging time, not just in one country globally. And it's better to step in and start putting the framework to help people than wait till after the financial impact is fully experienced. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And the founding founding principles of Bob Proctor and Napoleon Hill, Bob got his material from Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. But it was because I got involved in coaching that I was able to write and publish three award-winning books in less than a year. I didn't even know I had a book in me. (laughs) And you and I met because of your book. So imagine we met as authors. We have become... I would like to say colleagues and friends. And Absolutely. I appreciate that. I, I cannot wait to continue to build on this, bring our communities together and cross-pollinate because therein lies the success. If each of us are good at one thing, but we never cross-pollinate, we are leaving so much of that integrated upside for nobody to benefit from. Absolutely. So I am so excited for this, and I would love to open this up for questions. I know Robin will have at least one after hearing you speak. Oh, this is this is great. Okay, so our lives intertwine so much. I work for a company called Safe Checks. We make high security checks, prevent check fraud, and we produce the called the Fraud Bulletin for Frank Abagnale. I assume you've heard of Frank Abagnale. Catch me if you can. And um, one of the top experts in fraud prevention. And I'm the primary editor of his Fraud Bulletin. And it includes not just check fraud, but cybercrime, embezzlement, identity theft, corporate identity theft, synthetic identity, all of that. What's funny is... um, We've been doing his his bulletin for many years, many volumes. And I can't remember which volume it was, which year it was. We were just getting ready to go to press. And our president said, stop the presses, stop the presses. I've heard of this new thing called cybercrime. 
And so we had, and so we putting one third of one page, one column on this new thing called cybercrime. The next issue, um, we had like a full page, next issue a two page spread. And what's really hysterical, I am not a computer person. The only D I ever got in my entire life was in computer science at BYU. <laughs> yeah, those are back in the days where you were learning how to code, not where you're just learning a software program that already exists like they have today. And so what was hysterical is I was the one tasked. So I'll say, so I, um, um, put in, you know, my, my, my boss speaks on fraud prevention at many, many organizations. And so we put in all these speaker proposals for him to talk about cybercrime and check fraud. He always talks about check fraud and this new thing called cybercrime. <laughs> he got accepted at every single one that we put this proposal into. And so then it's like, oh, there's that cartoon. Is it, you know, yesterday I couldn't spell salesman. Now, now I are one. So now exactly. We have to out, now we have to figure out what this is. So I was tasked with, with uh, researching what is cybercrime. And I had to go into my life. Some, some, there were dozens of words. I didn't even know what they were. I had to go on the Wikipedia. What is a browser? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's anyway. only because of the internet you were able to do that. I know. Robin. I know. So, <laughs> so our lives intertwine so so much on fraud prevention and passwords. And Mr. Abignell you know, hates passwords and all that. But in addition, my dad was huge into self-improvement. And he had a sign hanging above our kitchen sink from Napoleon Hill. Whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. So I, so when you said fraud prevention, Napoleon Hill, cybercrime, it's like, oh my gosh, we intertwine so many ways. Wow, wow, wow. I'm just amazed at how, how much like-minded people actually accelerate towards each other and you know changing the world starts with a small group of individuals i think we have them here yeah you know <laughs> i want to change and... cybersecurity for the world and it's our mission at napoleon hill institute to make eight billion people free thinkers yeah and that's why i to finally get to my question i'm usually not this long-winded i usually just go straight to the question but um so I love to look at the human. So, so one thing I was impressed about you is you just kept saying yes to life and you just kept figuring it out. You know, wound here, wound there, wound here, wound there, but, but you just kept saying yes to life, figuring it out. I love that. The great message um, in the cybercrime and, and fraud prevention area. I love to look at the human side of fraud. Uh, that you have all this technology, all these machines, ultimately they're all um, dealt with by human beings. And I'm wondering if you have pondered the human side of fraud and what your thoughts are about the human side of fraud. Um, that's a great question. And actually, in my realization of what's going on in cybersecurity, one of the insights that I bring up is 
when we're doing testing for the environment, the human element is never engaged, right? And who's always involved when there's an incident? It's the human element, whether it be an administrator or someone that's using the internet at the office or somebody that's teleworking and bringing their device from their home into the office, those activities are where cyber threats are most prevalent and we're not really looking at the activities, which circles back around to proactive threat detection and prevention with a tool like ItSafe, because we're actually looking at what is going on and is it desirable. But sometimes these human actors don't realize that they're the threat point because they've had a breach on their device and they don't know it yet and their device is controlled remotely. When they get access to their office, now they're the threat vector. So they, they might not intentionally be involved in fraud. It could be an unintentional event, but utilizing that technology, which we have become addicted to, being built in a foreign country. You know, my trust level has ex exceedingly gone off the charts as far as what I can see and what I can't see as far as trust is concerned. Yeah. Does that help, Robin? Yeah, yeah, that's great. The, the, uh, the human being is a weak link. <laughs> it is. Yes. Beautiful question. And I love how you brought in that user human interaction, the unintended consequences of the socialization process of how humans engage with technology, right? And the unintended consequences. And what I love about the way you're integrating everything, Albert, is the fact that your life's message is have grit. Take on what life offers you and roll with it because you will get someplace if you're open to the universe, right? Those are the two major human messages I am getting. And I hope I am reiterating for, my, for our audience to embrace that wholeheartedly. And as we look at technology and technology threat, understanding the human element and the fact that you're doing this coaching to help people find their economic pathway is a good way to create a positive deterrent to look for backdoor ways to make money by hacking into somebody else's world, right? A lot of times I always sit back and say, if all these smart people had jobs, they wouldn't have time to hack into other people's computers. That's exactly correct. You know, applying their skills and their intelligence to a worthwhile and meaningful um, use to help society and the human race. Because the way I look at it, there aren't different races on this planet. There's only one race. It's the human race. And we're here living together and we should help each other no matter where we are in the world what color our skin is. These are only physical um, properties. But if I, if I really get down to the nuts and bolts of it, you know, a lot of my success is coming from the universe, from spirit that communicates with me. So I look at myself as a spiritual being in a physical body, and I'm blessed to be here to contribute 
to everyone that will listen. That is beautifully said because there is a part of the world that believes that we are each the divine within. And this body is just a housing for that divine within temporarily because we're all as souls and as spiritual beings just passing through. And so that is a beautiful place to bring this deeply meaningful conversation to an end. And we definitely will be picking this up at another time out, but we have so many conversations to have along this line. But as we bring this Goldilocks episode to a close, we are deeply grateful, Albert, for your insights, for your thoughtful uh, message to everybody on how to be open to the universe. Use your craft, use your talent, and at the same time, be mindful of how we are impacting each other's lives, because only when all three of them are integrated we as individuals and we as a collective human society give ourselves an opportunity to get it just right. I couldn't have said that better. It's just right. Your inner Goldilocks. 